All right, so uh, we're back in Revelation. Um, originally, I think I, w- I was planning on just doing uh, maybe a couple of messages on chapters uh, two and three and coupling all the churches together, but I just haven't been able to do that. There's, there's too much here that is too important for us to know. Um, so, uh, Pastor Craig, you know, I forgot to bring that, uh, there you are, paper, he's normally sitting there, that paper Bible right there. I'm like pointing at Matt saying, Pastor Craig. He's like, what is wrong with you? You really are old and deaf. Yeah. Um, I want to read the passage uh, that we're going to look at today out of this Bible. This is the New Living Translation. Um, and then I'm going to be teaching, uh, not, I'm not going to hit every verse, uh, but several verses I think are very important. Uh, we're going to be looking at the church of Thyatira. In fact, before I read it, um, uh, ladies, will you put, whoever's running the presentation, will you put that, uh, that grid up there that has all the churches on it? It's the one that is for chapter two. There it is. So we've already looked at the church at Ephesus. That was the first week. We looked at Smyrna and Pergamum, and we went in order there. Um, and you can see I've, I've laid this out because there is a form that is followed in Revelation. And then I titled each church, Ephesus was the loveless church. They were very theologically correct, but they had left their first love. And then the afflicted church was Smyrna. Um, They really weren't doing anything that Jesus saw in need of correction. He was comforting them. And then we looked at the compromising church in Pergamum. Um, They had gone through persecution, but they were allowing the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. So Balaam goes back to the Old Testament and this was a prophet who ended up taking money in order to trip up the Israelites by uh, suggesting that the women from Moab go in and uh, entice them to worship the god Baal. So Baal worship is very common in the region of Canaan, which is uh, what became the Holy Land, what became Israel. Now we skipped over Thyatira and we went to chapter three um, and we looked at the church at Sardis and uh, that's this right here. And that was because the kids were with us that week and there are some issues with Thyatira that I didn't want to bring up with them. But also because Thyatira, I call it the pretentious church here, but it's, it's a dead church. They had a name for being alive, but they were dead, which scares me because what's the name of this church? Yeah, that's a rough one right there. That's like a gut punch. Are we alive, right? And then honestly, you know, I love your kids. You know I love your kids, right? But a lot of them show up and they look pretty dead. (laughs) They look pretty bored. So I thought that this would be a a good message. So um, we're going to go back to Thyatira. If you will put the map up there. Uh, there is a map that I have that actually is laid out with the roads, okay? So this, I've zoomed in here, okay? So these churches are all in kind of a circle here, but here are the roads that you would need to take to get to these churches. So interestingly, you would have to go through Thyatira to get to Pergamum, right? Um, And so it's not without any sort of sense that we would come back uh, and go through Thyatira. And you've got to go from Pergamum back through to get to Sardis, which was the church that is first in um, Revelation chapter three, okay? So we're gonna look at Thyatira today and then Lord willing, we'll look at Philadelphia and Laodicea and then that will be it. All right, so let's take a look at this church. Um, Again, these churches are types. They're not just that church. 
but they are types of churches that represent types of people. They represent types of churches today. They represent types of individuals. And some of the things that these churches were dealing with may be some of the things that you're dealing with, that our culture's dealing with, that our church is dealing with, right? So we're gonna take a look at uh, Revelation 2, beginning with verse 18. And by the way, this is the longest message. Uh, one commentator said, this is the least important city in, in the seven cities, in these seven churches. It's the least important, but Jesus has the most to say to them. So let's look at it. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Thyatira. Remember, we're not talking about an angelic being here. The word angelos means messenger. So he's saying to John, write this letter to the pastor of that church who's gonna relate it to the church. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. So this is a growing church, right? However, but I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, to all who overcome, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over the nations. They will rule the nations with a rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father and, will, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So hopefully the Lord will help me to help you to understand what the spirit is saying to the churches. So let's go back up um, to the very beginning of that. Uh, the commentator that I was referring to earlier is Robert Mounts. He says, the longest and most difficult of the seven letters is addressed to the least known, least important, and least remarkable of the cities. So just because you're small doesn't mean you're unimportant. Amen? All right? Doesn't matter how many followers you got on TikTok. That doesn't mean you're important. It doesn't mean you're significant. Okay? It means you're entertaining, to be honest. Uh, economically, Thyatira was a city not unlike Garland, Texas, all right? I, I think Garland is not, uh, it doesn't have the reputation that it deserves, perhaps. This is an amazing city. It's a very diverse city. There's a lot of different kinds of people here. Uh, it's diverse uh, ethnically and so forth. But economically, I think it's not unlike Garland, Texas. Thyatira was a center for manufacturing and marketing, a large number of trade guilds were represented there. So Garland has been called a blue collar city and that would be the equivalent of this. So um, there were trade guilds representing wool and linen and leatherworks and dyers and tanners and potters and bakers and bronze smiths, which is appropriate because here Jesus identifies himself as the one with feet like burnished bronze or polished bronze, okay? 
Um, there weren't that many Jews in this city. The patron god was Terimnos, which was a name that represented Apollo. It was essentially a version of Apollo. And this pagan deity would have been considered the patron of trade guilds and honored in their celebrations. Now, maybe this is too much history. I don't think this is important, but I'll show you why this is important in just a second. Um, this would pose a problem for any Christian seeking to earn a living via one of the trades. Robert Mount says again, since the trade guilds were inseparably intertwined with local religious observances, they posed a special problem for the economic well-being of Christians. Um, so you would be expected to go to the celebrations uh, that that trade guild had. Many of those celebrations were oriented around this God, this Terimnos, which is a version of Apollo. So what happens when you're a Christian and you're expected to go to a pagan festival? Yeah, it's a big deal because you, you miss out on, on money. You miss out on uh, getting any sort of economic well-being. You've got to find another job, in other words. Well, the most important citizen of Thyatira from a New Testament perspective, we actually find in Philippi, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul went to Philippi. There were no synagogues there, so he went to the river that was nearby, and he was looking for uh, a place of prayer. And sure enough, there was a place of prayer. Any of you read uh, in Acts recently about this? Uh, there's Pastor Craig. You're always sitting over there, and I keep pointing to Matt. All right? But it was Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was from Thyatira. Um, and she responded to the gospel and she became a disciple of Jesus. And she opened her, her home to Paul and to his companions. So we don't have the names of any citizens of the other cities. So here we have again, an unimportant city who has a very important citizen, all right? So Jesus calls himself the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, or you heard it in the New Living Translation, polished bronze, well, this is the only place in Revelation where Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. John's gospel was written to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's very interesting that Revelation only uses that here, and it is in connection with the promise at the end of this little message to Thyatira, where he promises, that is Jesus, the Son of God, promises to share his authority over the nations. And we're gonna get to that uh, in just a little bit, okay? Um, both the identifying marks, all right? He's the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. That these both would seem to speak of judgment. And it's honestly, it's kind of scary because we, we really associate Jesus with grace, don't we? Our Jesus is my Lord and Savior, right? We don't associate him with being the judge, but my friends, that is throughout the entire New Testament. Jesus will return to judge. The scary thing to me is Jesus is threatening to judge the people that are following this false prophetess. He's threatening to judge them right then and there in this life. So it shows that although we don't wanna do a one-to-one -one correlation and say, if you do wrong, then God's gonna hammer you and punish you. On the other hand, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says that that uh, God disciplines every child that he accepts and that those who are left without discipline are not true children, right? So what we have in the, the punishment that the Lord may choose to mete out is not payback for what you've done wrong, but correction, Right? And that is really what the word discipline as used in Hebrews chapter 12 is all about. It's about 
correction. It's about training. It's what you do when you go in the military. It's what you parents do with your children every moment of every day. You're constantly correcting them. You're training them. You want them to turn out well. You don't want them in jail. You don't want them to die an early death. You want them to live good and healthy lives. So you're trying to train. And so Jesus is he's threatening right here. And it's, uh, it's a harsh threat. It's, it's hard to take. But um, if we understand that Jesus loves us, then we need to also understand that he loves us too much to let us keep on doing stupid stuff, amen? Um, And he says, I know your deeds, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than that at first. Now, I'm reading now from the New American Standard Bible, which is more literal. That's why there's a little bit of difference, okay? So Thyatira was a growing church. They weren't a growing church numerically. They weren't a growing church. Jesus didn't identify them as a church that was growing in attendance. Um, We had a man that was attending here for some time that had been involved in a number of different churches and church starts. And he referred to uh, churches that grow very quick numerically as sometimes being cancerous, right? Cancer grows fast, doesn't it? But you don't want cancerous cells in your body, do you? So we can, and I, I sent, Pastor Craig, I sent you like a, a, a link to the video where Vadi Bauckham was being interviewed by, uh, what's his name? Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, thank you. He's not a Christian dude. He's a truth-oriented dude. I forgot his name. So Ben Shapiro was interviewing Vadi Bauckham. Interestingly, Ben Shapiro, Orthodox Jew, not a Christian, was talking about how churches keep pushing their boundaries further and further out. And what I'm, by boundaries, I'm talking about ethical boundaries. What is acceptable, right? What is approved, especially when it concerns sexual ethics. Churches keep pushing those boundaries further and further out. Why? Because we want people to come in. We want more people to attend. We want more people to give. And we just assume that if people are standing there and jumping around when we do our songs and they're filling the seats that they're automatically, that our church is automatically growing. But here, the Lord Jesus, in spite of the fact that he's gonna say, I got a real problem with your church, affirms them for growing in these areas. Uh, Unlike Ephesus, Thyatira's love was growing. It was glowing and growing. Their faith had increased. They were serving the Lord with a, in a greater way. They had persevered, which may refer to enduring uh, persecution for their, uh, for their faith. Uh, but certainly for they had endured trial. And all of this had improved and increased since the Lord had started, uh, since the church had started. So I called this the growing church. And what I pray, LifeWell, is that we have that kind of growth. Amen. I pray that you have that kind of growth. I pray you grow in love. I pray you grow in faith. I pray your endurance is strong. I pray you're able to serve more and more meaningfully. But now we get to the the point really of the message. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. The Lord has had a problem with uh, others of the seven churches in these same two areas. And here's the reason why eating meat sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality are paired. Because these festivals, these celebrations to these false gods involve sharing a meal to celebrate the false god, and they often turned to sexually immoral activities, okay? Um, 
Women were recognized as having the gift of prophecy. In the Old Testament, we have Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, uh, Exodus 15, 20. We have Huldah in 2 uh, Kings. In fact, when they rediscovered the law, they didn't go to a man, a scribe. They said, who can help us to understand the law? And they tracked down this devout woman named Huldah. So it is not unheard of that women have the gift of prophecy. Um, in the New Testament, we have Anna that we meet in Luke 2.36. She was the one that, uh, that held Jesus and, and prophesied over him when he was a baby. Philip's four daughters in Acts 21.9 are all said to be prophetesses. In the Greco-Roman world, there were women revered as prophetess as well. They, they were considered to be, uh, to be channeling the gods, right? Uh, they were called sibyls. Have you ever heard of the Sibylline oracles? Right? Maybe you haven't heard of that, obviously. Okay, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Erdman's Bible Dictionary. And by the way, I was just going over this over here. If you think that I'm playing on my computer or something, I'm always getting ready for this and worshiping. I don't know what's going on with that light. Um, uh, yeah, I'm always going over this. And, and this, was, this was a quote that I came upon just a moment ago from the Erdman's Bible Dictionary. Ancient Greek tradition later accepted by the Romans and Jews, viewed a Sibyl or the Sibyl as an old woman to whom ecstatic predictions, ecstatic means, okay, the Lord is telling me this, all right, ecstatic, um, were attributed. She was thought to have been a wanderer, and by the first century BC, right, this is just, you know, 100 years before our current uh, time frame that we're looking at, or closer to 200. 10 Sibyls were mentioned by Varro in association with 10 geographic locales. Here's another thing that I just picked up. I mean, I studied this. I had this ready two weeks ago, okay? But I just picked this up from Vincent's Word Studies. A shrine outside the walls of Thyatira was dedicated to Samantha, a Sibyl. So we can understand how this woman who Jesus calls Jezebel, I don't believe, and most interpreters don't believe that that was her actual name. He was referring to the Jezebel of the Old Testament and the type of influence she was having. More on that in just a moment. But because there were prophetesses in the, prophetesses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament recognized women who received the Spirit and foretold and forth told the word of God, and because it was very acceptable in Greek culture, then this woman could pull this uh, delusion off in this city. Okay, so let's go back. Who was Jezebel? Again, it is unlikely that this self-proclaimed prophetess uh, of Thyatira was actually named Jezebel. Rather, the Lord is comparing her to the wife of Ahab in the Old Testament, which characterizes the nature of her activity. Jezebel was a princess, and uh, she was the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon. This princess, Jezebel, married King Ahab. He was the king over the northern 10 tribes of Israel after they had divided. And Ahab was a notorious, idolatrous, evil king. A lot of the things that he implemented came from his wife, whose name was? Jezebel. So she encouraged sexual immorality. She encouraged um, celebrations of what God? Baal. Remember I said the God Baal was very, very common in that area, all right? Um, remember the famous story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Do you remember that? 
That was while Jezebel was the queen, right? She essentially made Baal worship the national uh, religion in the northern kingdom. Well, the northern 10 tribes still belonged to the Lord. They were supposed to be worshiping Yahweh, yet there were 450 paid prophets of Baal in the northern kingdom. So the big contest was, Elijah said, I'm the lone prophet of Yahweh. I'll have a contest with you. We're gonna both build altars and the God that answers by fire is really God. And of course, he built his, uh, the, the, he said, you guys go first. So the Baal worshipers built their altar and they jumped around and they cut themselves and they, you know, all this ecstatic prophecy and so forth. And of course, because Baal is not really a God, nothing happened. Elijah builds his altar, and then he has, there, there's a, 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 a huge drought going on, and Elijah kept, keeps telling them to pour water, pour more water, and pour more water, and so there's water just running off of this altar. Elijah is trying to show that this is supernatural. If you can light a fire on this, then it's supernatural. Well, fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and sucks up all the water in the trough around it and just takes up all the, the stones. And Elijah says, okay, now kill the 450 prophets of Baal. Kind of harsh treatment, I understand. Different time frame. And so they do. Guess what? Jezebel threatens Elijah. This is God's man. This is God's man who has just seen an unbelievable victory. And this woman says, so be it to me and more. That is, may I die the way those prophets die if I don't make you dead like one of them by this time tomorrow. What did Elijah do? He ran. This is a powerful woman. He scared him. She scared him. He ran off to Mount Sinai and had a visitation with the Lord. I won't get into that, okay? So let's look at who the god Baal was. Um, the god Baal was believed to be responsible for bringing rain, and there was no irrigation in Israel. It was completely dependent upon rain. You gotta have grass to feed your, your flocks and herds, okay? You gotta have crops, you gotta be able to, to grow your barley, and you gotta be able to grow your grapes and all that, and all that requires rain. So you can understand why Baal was important to them because they thought he brought the rain. He and his consort Ashtoreth, uh, who is also in other cultures known as Astarte or Ishtar, were fertility gods. They were worshiped when their followers engaged in sex in front of a, a, a temple. They, they were called temple prostitutes. There were male and female temple prostitutes. And the way you worshiped this god was you went in and had sex with a prostitute, right? Well, that's just disturbing, right? But, you know, I, I mean, it's like, well, it's just worship. That's all it is. That's what we're doing here. Well, you can understand why Yahweh would have a huge problem. First of all, this is a false god who is leading them into this kind of sexual immorality. You can now understand why Jesus called this false prophetess Jezebel because she was leading them into sexual laxity, sexual immorality, and compromising when it concerned eating in uh, or celebrating, going to one of these celebrations, okay? So... Um, as we've observed previously with these other churches, the Nicolaitans taught laxity in the sexual area. And it's possible, remember the Nicolaitans are mentioned in Ephesus and the Ephesians rejected them, okay? And then they were mentioned again in I think it was Pergamum where uh, the people from Pergamum were being uh, admonished by the Lord for accepting the teaching of Balaam, all right, which is the same teaching, the Nicolaitans, right? Um, it's probably some kind of early Gnosticism. 
which would hold that it doesn't matter what you do with the body, only the mind or the spirit is important. Sex is just an activity, has no bearing on the spiritual. The Apostle Paul emphatically opposed such lies. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. This was a saying that they had. However, God will do away with both of them. But the body is not for sexual immorality, but it is for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised up the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are parts of Christ? The Paul is saying that to you. How many of you claim to be Christians in this room? Claim to be a Christian. Do you not know that your body is a part of Christ? We call the church the what? The body of Christ. You're members of the body, okay? Do you not know that your bodies are parts of Christ? Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Oh, far from it. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one in body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one in spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Here's the interesting thing. We're told to stand against the devil. Take a stand against the devil and he will flee. But we're told to run away from sexual immorality because you can't take a stand against it. It's gonna destroy you right? Um, uh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord, one spirit, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his or her own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Say, I'm a temple. So you've heard people say that when it concerns eating well or working out or whatever in the context that we're referring to, it concerns you presenting your body as a holy sacrifice to the Lord, right? Um, flee sexual immorality, all right? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, whom you have within you and whom you have from God. And you are not your own, say, I'm not my own, for you have been bought for a price. What was the price? The blood of Christ was the price. That's what you've been bought with. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Okay, so that's the sexual immorality side, the eating meat sacrifice to idols. Uh, eating at the temple of an idol was probably seen as innocuous, that is harmless. Uh, Christians knew that the idol didn't really exist. Therefore, concerning the eating of food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all, the, the uh, apostle writes, and that there is no God but one. However, eating at the idol's temple is a stumbling block for those that still believe in the idol. And uh, it is a stumbling block to those who are recently converted Christians, okay? Paul clearly states that idolatry is actually the worship of demons. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. No, but I say the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. So no, that's not really a God, but it is that God, Apollo, Terimnos, Athena, you know, Baal, Ishtar, whatever that God is, is actually being inspired by the demonic, okay? He says, I do, I do not want you to become partners with demons. So one of the main draws, as I mentioned earlier, to eating at an idol's temple relates to the source of income for most people in Thyatira, the, the trade guilds. 
Um, there were celebrations of the god or gods who were the patrons of each guild. Refusal to, ascend, to attend such celebrations would be seen as an affront to the god and reason to be expelled from the trade guild, which meant no matter how good of a wool dyer you were or uh, uh, a, a bronze smith you were, you couldn't sell anything anywhere because you didn't belong to the trade guild. And they say, well, you want to belong to this guild, you're going to worship Terimnos. You're going to worship this Apollo. Right? Well, these celebrations were both idolatrous and they were filled with debauchery, that is drunkenness and sexual immorality. Listen to what George Eldon Ladd says in his commentary. It would be nearly impossible for a citizen to, to participate in trade and industry without membership in the appropriate guild. And the question naturally arose whether a Christian could properly participate in such meals, these meals that, that honored that false god. Many Christians would argue that the alleged god has, has no real existence and therefore participation in such meals involved no compromise of one's Christian witness. The question was complicated by the fact that such social meals would often end in unbridled life licentiousness. You know what licentiousness is, right? It's where you just go crazy without any restraint and you just do whatever sexual things that these people are doing, okay? Well, this would seem to make the false teaching of Jezebel very desirable indeed. The Christian doesn't need to worry about losing his or her livelihood for rejecting idolatrous, idolatrous celebrations. Just go, eat, drink, and be merry, okay? Um, God won't mind. Have you heard people say that? Oh, God won't mind. I won't get you to raise your hand, but have you ever prayed for forgiveness before you did something that you knew was wrong? It's the same spirit. Toward the, toward the uh, a few verses down, the Lord says, he, he commends those who, quote, have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them. So this is obviously part of the way she was promoting this, all right? The statement further reveals teaching from this prophetess which revolved around deep things or secret knowledge. Her teaching may have been Gnostic or influenced by the mystery religions that were predominant in Asia Minor. Was Thyatira's Jezebel teaching people that they needed to know Satan's works personally? Listen to what Robert Mount says. It is more likely, however, that knowing Satan's deep secrets is a reference to the view that in order to appreciate fully the grace of God, one must first plumb the depths of evil. Later, Gnosticism boasted that it was precisely by entering into the stronghold of Satan that believers could learn the limits of his power and emerge victorious. Jezebel could argue that the Thyatirian Christians ought to take part in the pagan guild fests, even if they were connected with the deep secrets of Satan and thus prove how powerless uh, is evil to alter the nature of grace. So there are those that seek to abuse grace, push further and further and further. Um, so this is certainly playing with fire. It's the height of arrogance and the depths of stupidity to go marching into Satan's domain. You forfeit God's protection when you walk outside the boundaries he set up. I'm gonna say that again. You forfeit God's protection when you walk outside the boundaries he set up. Amen. Say, well, you know, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And you're under the Holy Spirit who is seeking to check you and keep you from doing certain things. Have you ever felt you started to do something and you were like, ah. Oh. All right, I'm gonna be honest, I bought something on Amazon yesterday and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me buy it. I'd already paid on my credit card. So I was like, okay, Lord, okay, okay. So I went back and you know, went refund, refund, refund. 
And it was within like 15 minutes. So, you know, it just turned it around. But it's like, be glad if you get convicted by the spirit. It's dangerous for you to push against that because it hardens your heart. And then you can't pay attention to the Holy Spirit anymore because your heart is scarred by all the times that you disobeyed, right? So this false prophetess also may have been teaching her followers that they needed to go out and experience sin. Sin big so can, you can experience God's grace in a greater way. Supposedly Martin Luther said this. Well, under the guise of being a spokesperson for God, this Jezebel is leading people away from Christ to sexual immorality and the compromise of eating with the temple, eating to, uh, celebrations of the temple's idols. Um, so let, let's do, do something practical here, practical application for you and me, because we don't have idols temples that we're tempted to eat at, do we? But have you ever been tempted to just try something that you know is wrong? Yeah, but I just wanna, I just wanna try it. I just, I just wanna check it out. I, I, I know it's wrong or Christians say it's wrong or the Bible says it's wrong, but I just, I just kinda wanna try it. I just wanna see what it's like, okay? Again, you're stepping outside of God's boundaries. And you might be prompted by people who are, let's say it's a party, there's a bunch of people smoking weed there or uh, you know, somebody's doing meth there, or, you know, snorting lines of cocaine. And you're like, well, you know, gotta forgive. I just wanna try it. I've never tried this before, okay? Um, and then somebody says, well, how do you know if it's wrong if you've never tried it? Or maybe you've been sheltered. You were raised in a Christian home. You went to church all your life. Now you wanna strike out on your own. Be your own person. Try new things. Will it hurt to smoke weed or meth? Why not have sex with whoever you desire? Hey, can you just ask for God's forgiveness, right? That is anathema for a follower of Christ. What, the apostle, what did the apostle Paul teach about this? Uh, Romans 6, one through six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we who have been buried with him through baptism into death that just as we have been buried with Christ through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. How many of you have seen somebody baptized by immersion? Okay, I, I have a tank right here. I've done it in this very room, okay? We say, what, what, what do we say when I, when I put them under the water? What do, we, what do I say? Buried with Christ in baptism. When I raise them up, what do I say? See, when you are in Christ, this is me, this is Jesus, then it puts me back on the cross with Jesus, in the grave with Jesus, and raised from the dead with Jesus. I'm different on the inside. That doesn't mean my flesh is different. I have to fundamentally separate myself from the flesh, the old nature, the sinful nature. The Apostle Paul says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin, that's the old nature, might be rendered powerless, might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You are not a slave to sin. You don't need to go on presenting your body. The problem is, we are taught by our culture, by our friends, by our family members, by social media, the things around us, that these things are not really sin. 
Does that sound like a, a temptation you heard before? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Eve is in the garden. She encounters the serpent, right? That serpent of old, Satan. What is the first thing Satan says to her in the garden? Did God really say? Do you really think that's wrong? You're not buying into all that from those Christians, are you? God's about grace. You just go out there and have fun. Just don't hurt anybody. Well, okay, that's good. You shouldn't hurt anybody. But see, a lot of times we don't realize that the things we're doing that are fun for us and fun for them are hurting them and us. Okay? Um, so Thyatira's Jezebel may not have taught that the deep things are about Satan. It might be an ironic statement by the Lord. Instead, she was seeking to introduce them to the mysteries of God. Mystery religions were common in this area. Uh, Eldon Ladd said it is more likely that John wrote ironically, as a prophetess, she claimed to introduce her followers to the deep things of God. However, Christ recognizes that the enemy is the source of such knowledge. Um, so this is not head knowledge, but intimate experience. Satan deceived the woman into believing that God's command wasn't the truth. Adam and Eve experienced the guilt of disobedience, the fear of facing God, and the shame of being naked after they ate the fruit. See, when she looked at the fruit, she said, well, you know, it's, it's beautiful to the eye, and it's, it's good for food, and it's profitable for making one wise, then why not? Who cares what God said? I can test this with my own mind and my own heart, right? Well, interestingly, Gnostics taught, and she might have been, might have been a Gnostic, that the Old Testament God was actually evil and that the serpent was actually good. They called the serpent Sophia, wisdom personified. The devil's tactics are not new. Um, so there were lots of mystery religions in the area. Uh, Sibylle was a mystery religion. I'm not going to get into that because I'm short of time. Um, the great mother, that's Sibylle. Uh, in fact, uh, I think that there's a very good likelihood that that inspired the whole worship of Mary, Mary the mother of God. But again, I don't have time for all of that. Um, let's take some application here on going deeper with God. There are false prophets and movements in our churches today. There really are. Okay, uh, there's a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. Have you heard of these people? Okay, these people believe that they are apostles who have the same authority as the, the 12 apostles from the first century. And they want to get into your church and they want to teach you the deeper things of God. Okay, that's just one example. Beware any woman, man, or movement that leads you to believe personal experience is equal with, in authority with the Bible. That's what this woman was saying. The Lord said to me, the Lord told me to say to you, but that's not on the level of scripture, okay? That's someone's personal experience. It may be real to them or not, but it's not authoritative for you. Check what you think God is saying with the authoritative word of God, which is the Bible, Amen. Okay, that's why we're teaching the Bible here all the time. I'm going verse by verse through this thing. We're teaching the Bible all the time. Get back to the book. Beware self-proclaimed apostles who seek to speak authoritatively to you, who claim to be bringing reformation to the church, who interpret scripture in new and novel ways, who call attention to their supposed authority from God rather than to the Lord Jesus Christ who has all power and authority, amen? I follow Jesus, he has all power and authority. I don't follow you. Oh, I got a word from the Lord for you. Okay, speak it. 
But the only one who has authority over me is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I might have some advice to give you. I might say, you know what? I want you to consider this. I want you to consider what the Lord would say to you here. But I'm not going to tell you, God told me to tell you this so that you'll go and do what I say. Because I can be wrong. Amen? Oh, amen, preacher. Beware any woman, man, or church that focuses on allegedly prophetic visions and dreams or angelic visitations or the interpretation of tongues. The devil can can inspire all of these. The test is Jesus. Do these purported prophets admit that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, died on the cross, and rose from the grave? That's what you need to find out. The final revelation of God to us is Jesus Christ himself. We focus on him, amen? The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So let's look at, uh, very quickly, some compromises today. This Jezebel was encouraging people to compromise by eating meat sacrificed to idols, which may have related to their ability to earn money. Do you compromise your faith for money, for capital, for profit? What do you do when uh, you're at work and there's an office party, right? I've heard of office parties. It's, you know, these are offices with, with men who would go to topless bars. Would you go with them? Well, you know, I just want to, it's just about relationships, you know, and I'm not attracted to that anyway. I'll just keep my eyes down. No, no, friend. These are our temptations. Um, What about when other employees, your office, are sitting around and they're sharing a dirty joke? Do you sit there and listen? Do you laugh? What about when they're gossiping, talking about somebody else in the office? Oh, yeah, so-and-so, so-and-so. Do you listen? Do you participate? After all, you want to keep relationships with those people, right? See, this is, this is our eating meat sacrifice to idols. Um, what if you witness your boss being abusive to other employees or to yourself? What if he makes sexually explicit comments? And I do say he because it's rare that a woman would do this. Do you let that happen? Do you just sit back uh, and say, well, you know, I got to keep this job? Or do you stand up for what's right? Shine the light. Represent Jesus. Don't compromise for capital. God will supply all your needs. Amen? Amen. That's what the Apostle Paul promises. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I had a whole nother direction I was going to go today, and it would be like a whole nother sermon, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, I'm going to jet to the end here, and I'm going to look at what the Lord says uh, as uh, judgment and promise. He says, I gave her time to repent. She doesn't want to repent. So I'm going to throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children. This means her followers with plague. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. You know what an STD is? Yeah. You know, they're very common in our world. Yeah. Everything from HIV, syphilis is making a comeback. Did you know in the first century there were no antibiotics? So many STDs that can be treated by antibiotics then killed people. Um, There are many who believe that Alexander the Great died of syphilis, okay? But you can be afflicted by these things today. But let me just say this. I I want you to evaluate this. If you follow God's pattern, one man, one woman, life, are you going to get an STD? 
it doesn't matter how rampant they are. It doesn't matter how they morph into whatever. You aren't because you're staying inside the boundaries. Okay? Now, if you've stepped outside those boundaries and you've had some difficulty in these areas, God can heal you. God can help you. God can give you a fresh start. Amen? not trying to minister condemnation to you, but I'm trying to tell you, God has a plan for you, for your body, for your life. And when you step outside that plan, then you step into the consequences of your bad behavior, all right? Here uh, is the, the promise to conclude the message. He says, this is Jesus speaking, nevertheless, what you have hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are shattered. And I also, and so as I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. So what do you think is going to happen when you get to heaven? You can just sit around and play a harp, sing praises, hang out in the temple. You are training to reign. Say, I'm training to reign. That's what the scripture says. Jesus, this is a messianic prophecy that Jesus is quoting from Psalm chapter two. Um, he is promising that he will share this authority. Well, just remember the, the story that Jesus told of uh, the minas. A minna was a measure of money, right? He gave each of these individuals uh, 10 minas. And he said, I want you to go uh, and I want you to invest this and then bring it back. So the first guy invested it. In fact, I'll just go ahead and, and read it. When the, the landowner returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be summoned to him so that he would learn how much they had made by business, by the business they had done. The first slave appeared saying, Master, your minna has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave. Since you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to have authority over 10 cities. The second one came saying, your minute master has made five minutes. And he said to him, you also are to be over five cities. The last guy came and handed him his minna and said, hey, I just stored this away and I didn't want to lose it, but he didn't invest it. And he ends up getting kicked out. Well, the apostle Paul also taught the Corinthians that the saints will even be involved in judging angels. Listen to what he says. The apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, and 3. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to form the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels how much more matters of this life? So saints, we're training for reigning. And he also promises the morning star. What is the morning star? Do you know what it is? It's the planet Venus. Why is it called the morning star? Because you always see it bright in the sky right before the dawn. So he's saying, I have that sign of your hopeful future standing there in the sky before you. I offer that to you. So what do you want? The dog food that the world offers? Sexual immorality, eating meat sacrificed to idols? Or do you want the stake that God offers, the eternal life, right? For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 